Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 279 for Monday, January 8th, 2024. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixlriffs, and joining me for the new year is Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. Hello, hello. And thinking ahead to the things that we are going to be doing in the new year, some of us are going to be playing board games, uh, and they might have birds in them, they might have rivers and fields in them, they might have birdhouses, you never know. And if you want to hear more about that and some of the gifts that we gave and received over the holidays, then you can check out the Render Distance. That's the extended version of the podcast. You can get it at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. It is the first episode of the month and the first episode of the new year. So a huge thank you to all of our patrons for your support. You are a big part of the reason that Johnny and I get to do this every week, and we can't thank you enough. The monthly Minecraft Hangout will happen later this month. That's a perk for our patrons that happens live in the Discord. And it will be a bit beefier to make up for the one that we could not get to over the holidays because Christmas fell on a weekend and kind of extended uh, that break a bit. The quarterly Hangout will be later in January or potentially earlier in February, depending on when the data is available for the final episodes of 2023. That will be the Q4 as well as the full annual wrap-up. And the quarterly Hangout, for those of you that don't know, is another perk for our patrons. That's where Johnny and I sit down and talk about YouTube numbers, podcast downloads, how the show is doing, plans for the future, that kind of stuff. So look for that in the next, you know, four to six weeks. Uh, and as for ch schedule changes, there aren't any. We're back to recording Mondays live in the Discord, 10 a.m. Atlantic and 2 p.m. in the UK. Again, another perk for our patrons. You get to hang out here live with us. We're also very excited to announce that Mojang developer Nembon will be joining us sometime soon to talk about his recent addition to the Mojang team and some features he's worked on directly, but perhaps not the ones you think. We are still firming up exact recording dates. Uh, he might be appearing on a, an upcoming Monday, but we might end up recording slightly out of sequence there, depending on his availability. Uh, but in the meantime, we are planning on taking a few listener emails for that show. So if you have any questions for Nembon, please send them to the usual email address. That is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Once again, that's spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. And make sure you put Nembon in the subject line so we can sort through those questions before the show and make sure we've seen all of them so that we can select a few. So I took a giant break over the holidays. And I, I know this has happened to me before where I go into the holidays thinking I'm going to do some extra streaming. I, I talk about it on podcasts, you know, keep, keep an eye on the Twitch channel. You never know what might happen. And I ended up doing a whole lot of nothing, which leaves me with not a lot to talk about here in the login, but uh, maybe something we can talk about, I think, in the main discussion later on. But coming back to it, like looking ahead to the things that I want to accomplish now that, you know, we're recording podcasts this week and I'm going to be streaming this week. Um, I'm thinking about all the stuff that I have left to do in, in West Hill. And really, you know, as I think about it, it, it just comes down to two kind of broad brushstrokes, which is the interior design of the keep inside West Hill. That's the big ticket item to finish the town. Uh, and I, I'm sure there'll be like a detail sweep to make sure that I don't have any like pigs on roofs and like you know, different stuff like that. Um, but the, the other things are just like exterior things like roads and rivers and the kind of stuff I was kind of poking at a little bit before, before the break. And so there really isn't a whole lot left. And I don't know if you've ever had this with big projects as you come closer to finishing them up. 
I'm excited to finish and I'm excited to move on to something else in Minecraft. But at the same time, I'm almost kind of thinking like, what else can I do? Like, what, like, is there anything else that I can, like, it's, it's like, it's that one part of like, I don't want to leave any stone unturned. I don't want to like leave something that's really obviously something I forgot, but I also, it's just that I don't want to, it's not anxiety. That's the wrong word, but it's that tentativeness of moving on to something else having done the same thing for so long right yeah absolutely and it's something that i've felt in a variety of situations from finishing series and stuff to finishing larger projects and it's obviously something that i've seen a lot of recently with hermitcraft having wrapped up their series and taking such a focus on their videos for the hermitcraft recap project it's the same thing that they've been talking about there's this sort of odd melancholy to it where it sort of feels like you're stepping away from something for the last time and you're thinking am i ever going to come back here and in the case of them with their server closing down and starting a fresh world it's a very different situation from what you've got where the citadel is going to continue on and you're just moving on from this project but it's uh, it's the same sort of feeling and it's an interesting twist on that to be effectively your own boss in this situation right you don't have anybody else on the citadel necessarily pressuring you to move on you're just trying to figure out when is the the artistic side of this project going to end and when can i stop tweaking things and uh, and and feel like i have closure on it so yeah that's a, that's an interesting feeling but one that definitely applies to minecraft especially once you've been working on a project for as long as you have and when it gets into feature creep, you know, like the that not feature creep, that's not the right term, but it's the same sort of feeling in that you just keep on adding, you know, like you oh, a farm could go there or I could build a wall or that could use a little dock, you know, like that, that little stuff like that. And then you just end up never being done. Yeah. And so I think what I want to refocus on is is the priority of, of finishing West Hill and everything like immediately adjacent to it. And then farms in the valley and things like that, I think I might try and um, leave as like a, hey, this is meant to be an ongoing zone, not just one single build, like a one-off thing. So I can always come back and and you never know, like it might be worth it to wait because like, you know, the longer I wait, the closer we get to the new blocks from 1.21. And so there could be some things that I might be able to use in the walls around the fields or things like that. So I'm trying not to... to pressure myself into completing the area 100%, which if anybody has known me uh, and how I play Minecraft over the last few years, like leaving things either unfinished or that incomplete feeling, like that's that's not a natural state for me. So sure, in yeah. a way, it's kind of a challenge to learn to like, no, nope, you need to like, look, this is not all going to happen now. You know, you're going to have to walk away and come back. And the good news about coming back to do a farm is that the whole time you're building the farm, you're right next to this giant build that you've done. and so. If people are, you know, looking to see it as part of your content, then you can always return. And that's something else I realized too. As I've been building West Hill, I've been bopping back and forth to different areas of the server. You know, you go back to the gold farm to repair your gear. You go back to other bases to uh, gather stone or andesite or things that you know you've got in chests in different places. And that's the nice thing about West Hill as well is I have a lot of stuff uh, stored up. And once I finish the area and leave it, there's a really good chance I'm going to be do- working on something in the future, going like, oh. Uh, I need to craft like, you know, a hundred repeaters or something like that, but I don't have any stone. I know where there's stone, yeah. <laughs> you know, go to the dozens of chests that I have, you know, buried underneath in the keep. Or, you know, if I, when I move everything over to the crypt, you know, under the graveyard, then I'll have a reason to come back to the area, which is nice. And I think working on other projects and and doing other things in the area will, will help with that. I just, I want to, moving forward, I want to just not 
but take such big bites. Like I want to try to do smaller projects. So even if I come back to West, I'll do something. It'll be like, let's build a medieval bridge or a windmill, not like a new town. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I think I've done. And, then, and I think too, like I've done the town thing and I think I've learned a lot and I'd like to do something else so that I can expand just my artistic repertoire, I guess, you know, like what I have in my back pocket in Minecraft. I want to learn how to do some, some different stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely good to branch out. I found that the first time I built a castle in Survival Guide Season 1, I immediately wanted to build another castle because I learned so much during the process, but mm -hmm. I think that was a slightly yeah. shorter process even even that. Um, yeah. And you want to avoid being like one of those progress bars that gets stuck at 100% but still isn't done, if you know what I mean. <laughs> like yeah. the, 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 the rendering video like uh, export process from Premiere that always goes 99, 100% and then stays on 100% for like 10 minutes. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's like, that's, that's not done, is it? Um, yeah, yeah, I hear you. Like you, I didn't spend a great deal of time playing Minecraft over the holidays either. I've taken a pretty solid break from it, both to visit family and because I still have family visiting, actually. We've got a, a relative visiting from the States who's staying in my office as a bedroom, so I'm not in here quite as frequently as I would be otherwise. But having taken a break from playing, I found, has not given me a break from thinking about what I want to do this year. And so I've taken it as more of like a bit of a research break. Um... I've been following a few artists for a while and I get a few more artist recommendations on sites like Instagram where it'll like throw new stuff at me every so often. And I stumbled across an artist called Greg Fromento who has a bunch of really neat illustrations, a lot of which have a very simple subject. But one of these popped out at me, which was a floating island with a large sort of galleon style size ship beached on it and like whales floating around in the sky kind of thing and, and a fantastical setting but one that I thought would translate really well to a fairly contained Minecraft project. We already have examples of shipwrecks in game. Floating islands are a thing that the terrain will sometimes generate but I wanted to use it as a case study for figuring out first the inspiration for a build project, then how to execute on that inspiration, the drafting process and building it up until it becomes a feature of this world. And I haven't really established a build style at my central base area yet that I feel like I'm going to follow through with and turn into a larger settlement. So I thought, let's treat this as a self-contained project somewhere nearby so I'm not traveling thousands of blocks away just to see this one thing, but also focus on the aesthetic quality of builds and builds not having to be functional or, you know, justifying builds a certain way in order for them to be part of your world. So that's going to be my main project for the return of Survival Guide in the new year, and I'm trying to structure that in a much more formalized fashion. A lot of the stuff I've been approaching in Survival Guide has been fairly casual, just ping-ponging from subject to subject as I go and as the need requires, you know? I, I think, okay, I've got to fill up the Prismarine in my storage system, so I need to build a Guardian farm. And after the Guardian farm, I've got easy access to XP so I can go and do big strip mining projects without the need to repair my tools at a very kind of slow XP farm and so forth. But this is the point at which resources are no longer scarce. In fact, if anything, I have a surplus of resources to the point where I want to do larger building projects that will take up a lot of them. And so my plan is to turn a floating island like this into a larger set piece for my world and talk a bit about the process of that in a series of tutorials. I'm on uh, Gregory's page right now. It's very cool. I like I like the style. And the it reminds me a little bit of Studio Ghibli, like just that kind of whimsy. and Yes, just, absolutely. Just, you just, it's, it's like all these things are, are rendered 
realistically from an illustration point of view, but they don't all go together when it terms when it comes to like our world, you know, like whales flying in the sky and floating islands and stuff. But it still looks like, you know, probably like a you know mid 15th century or 16th century galleon. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, it, it, it looks it looks very, very apt. Don't come at me if I got that date wrong. Um, <laughs> but he's got like uh, houses built on the back of giant fish and that kind of stuff. Yeah, right. A- yeah, alongside yeah. a series of portraits, which are really cool of like pop culture kind of film figures. But yeah. but there's there's some really neat stuff in there. A couple of castles and just things that provide this really nice uh build inspiration and so yeah we talked in the past about drawing inspiration from artists and going to places like art station to search for specific keywords and whatnot but this was really serendipity that it popped up on my instagram feed and i nice. i got i got really into that that art style so gonna try and do it justice in in game um, I have popped back into the survival guide world since the new year. I, I did a stream the other day, just the usual chopping Tuesday wood gathering kind of stuff. Um, but I probably won't be back at full capacity for a couple of weeks yet. So uh, easing into the new year, I think, with uh, an approach that's lending more towards planning than actual gameplay at this stage. I need to find a way to ease back in as well. I don't think I'm going to jump right back in and go straight at the keep details. You know, like I think I'm going to continue on with the rivers and kind of think about things from the outside in and just not get distracted and get like going down roads around corners and things, but like try to think about, you know, what is happening in inside. And I think I might make a new list, like a shorter list. You know, you ever find that when you have four pages of lists and everything, like half of them is all checked off. You kind of find it difficult to, to figure out like where you are, like what yeah. is the thing you need to do next. So you kind of like, all right, turf that list, copy all, all over the stuff that needs to be done. And then you have a brand new list with nothing's checked off, but it's it's half the length. You know, <laughs> it tends to be a lot easier to parse. So uh, moving forward, that's probably how I'm going to approach things. But I, I think that's, I think it's a good way to get back in. There's, there can be that kind of hard smack in the face of in any job, doesn't matter over all of my career coming back from any holiday. There's always that kind of like, woof. Okay. I have to do this like, high octane back to Monday to Friday, nine to five, you know, when I was working in TV animation and stuff. And when you're doing this kind of thing, self-generated content, it's a lot easier to be like, I can work a half day today. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, can, I can work myself back up to it uh, after taking a break. Yeah, well, we're going to dedicate some of our main discussion today to talking about taking a bit of time away from Minecraft and what that can do for your mindset. Uh, since many of us play Minecraft as our principal form of recreation, I hope this will be something that relates as much to our audience as it does to us uh, in the position of playing Minecraft as more of a career thing. But in the meantime, we're going to move on to the news. We have a little bit of news filtering in from over the new year, including a Minecraft Bedrock Edition beta and preview. This is 1.20.60.2. 24. There are no new Java snapshots at the time of this recording, but there was this one Bedrock beta published on January 4th, 2024. And as always, uh, Mojang is asking for your feedback on recent feature updates and uh, bits and pieces like that, bug fixes and whatnot. So they encourage you to uh, add your feedback over at the feedback.minecraft.net page and report any bugs you might encounter at the usual bugs.mojang.com. So in experimental features, the armadillo now emits vibrations when rolling up and unrolling, which can be detected by skulk sensors. Baby armadillos will no longer move towards their parents after rolling up. The armadillo's legs no longer flicker while rolled up, and they now play the correct sounds when rolling up, fixing a couple of bugs in uh, Minecraft Bedrock Edition specifically. The trial spawner has some improved particles. The breeze can now jump while standing in water and now avoids trap doors when pathfinding. 
They've removed the darkening tint in the Windburst particle to uphold parity with Java Edition, and the volume of sounds for equipping and removing wolf armor is now controlled by the Friendly Creatures slider. In features and bug fixes, pistons, pushing, pulling, or destroying blocks no longer risk teleporting surrounding players towards, towards the world's origin. This is something I've actually noticed popping up as a bug that people report a lot on the Minecraft Reddit, so really happy to hear this one's been fixed. I know it's been aggravating Bedrock players for a while. Along with that, several crops, flowers, and blocks, including glowstone dust and gravel, no longer have an increased chance of drops when mined with an enchanted book of fortune. They fixed a bug where the player would exit a vehicle at an incorrect height if the vehicle was over a fire block. They've renamed Scute to Turtle Scute in preparation for Armadillo Scutes also being a thing. Villagers who are mistakenly assigned to the same bed or workstation as others will now actively seek out a new bed or workstation. Pufferfish no longer inflate and deflate repeatedly when a player is at a specific distance. Animal equipment such as horse armor and wolf armor no longer has a chance of being duplicated when the animal carrying them is killed. Pillagers now spawn correctly near pillager outposts, and mobs that have partial blocks, i.e. trapdoors, slabs, etc., specified as part of their list of blocks to avoid in their navigation components, should now avoid them properly. In Realms news, the Realms tab in the new play screen should no longer be stuck in a loading state. They fixed a crash that could occur in the play menu whilst looking at Realms, and corrected translations about posting and liking on Realms stories. In Vanilla Parity News, Trail Ruins will now be placed in the same location and configuration as in Java, and some villagers could have their skins not matching their professions, but that should now have been resolved as a bug fix as well. The Armadillo has a new look posted on December 24th from Minecraft on Twitter. Quote, we've listened to your feedback. Here is a new iteration of the Armadillo in beta and snapshots next year. The most notable feature of the redesign moves the eyes to the side of the head. They were previously on the front of the head. So uh, let's start with that, actually. How do you feel about the new look of the Armadillo? Oh, I think it looks much better. I, I think it uh, it looks cuter and more more like an armadillo i think that's it's one of the things and it also lines up with other animals and mobs in minecraft that have that long kind of snout like a goat or a horse uh i th i think that it looked a little bit too much like a mouse previously and and now i think it has more of the um like the longer thinner nose which is difficult to achieve in minecraft with the blockiness of the model but I think by moving the eyes to the side, it really emphasizes that long kind of forehead that that armadillos have. Mm -hmm. And I think it helps the head look longer. Uh, I don't think they've made it longer. It doesn't look like it has any extra pixels, but no, they've no. made it they've made it lighter. Uh, it certainly has. It's like the top of its head now has the same sort of texture color as its back because their armor kind of goes right down. It's almost like they have a little helmet on. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think I think it looks good. And they've changed the ears too. the ears also seem uh, a bit smaller and maybe at a different angle. I can't really tell from the the image. I'd, I'd like to see, you know, some more shots of it or, or even, you know, more uh, animation from it to see if anything else has changed. I know that they added um, in the snapshot or the, the beta preview there, they added different frequencies or different vibrations. And I think that's really cool. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm um, visually, I think it looks, it looks pretty good. It's a little bit lighter. I think one thing that is nice about it is that it looks less like a dirt block and the, the contrast on the little 
the the ridges in the armor on the back of it i feel like it's a it's a better contrast and so it looks more like a unique thing as opposed to kind of like a little brown blob which i think is good yeah yeah definitely i i think yeah the the lighter shell texture like i wasn't really expecting them to change much about the coloration of it which they have no. they made it like a warmer color the previous one was a bit more purple now it's slightly more mm. kind of pink feels mm-hmm. a bit more like a terracotta block i feel um but yeah i i think it's a an overall really good change and I'm I was honestly on the fence about the eye position like I can take or leave it as far as like the character of the mob goes but I agree with the people who are kind of uh, advocating for it to be more like the goat which has the eyes on the sides of its head and it feels more like a realistic way that that animal would render in Minecraft um I think one of the justifications for putting the eyes on the front of the head was that you were supposed to be interacting with it fairly frequently and it kind of gave it more personality if it felt like it was looking at you but personally i didn't find myself interacting with these things head on a great deal during the time i spent in snapshots in the first place right so i do think it makes just as much sense for the eyes to be on the side and you running at the armadillo from the side than it does to for you to run at it from the front a lot of mobs do this thing where they will turn to face you dead on when you're standing within a certain like notice range of them right um and so like cows and sheep and stuff will do that and i've often find that kind of odd because of the way animals in the real world will look at you i mean take parrots as an example right parrots i believe even in minecraft have the eyes on the sides of their head and they have a very small head so putting the eyes on the front it'd just look like a black bar instead of a a pair of individual eyes but the parrots will still turn to face you beak forward when you approach them and that's not how birds react in real life at all a bird always looks at you kind of sideways and that's a mm-hmm. characteristic of birds that everybody is naturally familiar with if you've seen one ever. And they don't do that in Minecraft. So I wonder if in future, to tighten up mob AI, and even if it's not to change much about their walk cycle and animations and you know overall behavior, but I do wonder if animals with eyes on the sides of their heads are ever going to look at the player using the side of their head instead of the front. Or if that's just something that is so naturally hard-coded into the game that it becomes too inconvenient to change after a while. I, I like the idea of, of having the body of the animal face towards you, but then just have the head tilt either to the left or the right and mm. just kind of have it look at you from, from one side. I mean, it makes sense. Uh, and these changes had me thinking about some of the other animals that uh, the armadillo doesn't line up with and how some of the new passive mobs, like the goat, for example, have been a little bit more... I I guess realistic in terms of how they're modeled after their real world counterparts, but they've also got more detail. Like, you know, like the armadillo has like the outer shell layer. The, um, the goat has got like the bushy kind of layers to its coat and, Mm -hmm. and has that, that interesting shape to it. It's not just a box, you know, like, uh, the sheep, for example, are really just like really early Minecraft kind of boxes. And, and they have that head, uh, same with the cow, they look straight at you. And when you think about, a sheep model versus a horse or i mean horses have been in the game a while although they got a little bit of a touch-up a while ago Uh, but when we look about like a goat or an armadillo compared to a sheep you go wow that's weird Mm -hmm. you know like the, the sheep i mean and and i think we've mentioned this before you've mentioned it before on the show where like some things are probably tied into a lot of merchandise or minecraft marketing or have just been so iconic like you think about the creeper and that's pretty synonymous with minecraft right yeah but when you think about a sheep like 
it's not that sheep in general are you know part of minecraft it's that specific dead stare from a sheep that yeah. is like goofy and weird and now part of the <laughs> part of an in joke i think within within the community um and i have seen some texture packs where people have changed you know the ducky looking chickens in minecraft to look like chickens mm-hmm. and the and the sheep to look like sheep and the cows to actually look like cows and I do, I do like what can be done uh, when an artist does it the right way. Specifically, I think I saw like a Highland cow. I think that's the right name for them. Yeah. Uh, the, the bushy cow. And and like the goat, that works really, really well because you don't even have to give it eyes. You can give it like a little bit of a mop, like a little cartoon mop that, you know, the eyes would be underneath, you know? And I, I think that works really, really well. So uh, I'd be curious to see as Mojang adds more mobs to the game in future if natural mobs like an armadillo receive this kind of treatment but then other things like the strider or the the breeze like the more fantastical things uh passive or not get like the the we're just going to do however we want like more binocular kind of like straight ahead vision uh cartoony as opposed to something that is a little closer to uh the way things work in in real life i'm trying to think about any time i've seen an animal like this in a Disney cartoon where I don't think they move, they might move the eyes to the front. They kind of anthropomorphize things in something like Zootopia. They would, but in something like say 101 Dalmatians, like any bird, like a pet bird in that era of Disney would be like you said, looking at someone sideways, you know, like any of the, the Ravens in something like sword in the stone or, or that like they would be, animated like real birds not like birds that would be looking at you straight on whereas i think like the crows or something in pinocchio they they have eyes kind of like in the front of their face as opposed to on the side well the the one that springs out in my mind is an animated armadillo in dreamworks the road to el dorado there is okay there's an armadillo that they use to play like an ancient mesoamerican ball game at one point and that pretty much (laughs) it's it's kind of ambiguous and obviously there's a lot more detail that you can put into a hand-drawn animation than you can into something like minecraft with limited textures um but the the eyes face forward a fair bit of the time but they are sort of around this the curvature of the head in a way that it, it really isn't possible to do with a boxy shape of a minecraft yeah. armadillo so yeah there's uh, there's some creative license to be had there and i agree that i think the the creative license in minecraft can be much more easily had with original uh creatures because nobody can tell them hey that doesn't look like real life <laughs> because you're like congratulations it is a wind elemental good luck pointing yeah. to one of those in an encyclopedia <laughs> you know um but yeah, yeah ma- makes makes perfect sense to me i'm looking forward to seeing if any more iterations come through for the armadillo but i expect the voices in the community that were calling for the armadillo to have a more realistic look are probably a lot happier with this one i've certainly seen a lot fewer negative takes on the new look of the armadillo Anything in particular from the Bedrock preview that stands out to you? Um, first of all, the fact that Scutes have been renamed to Turtle Scutes, that's something that I think still hasn't changed in Java yet, but makes perfect sense to me to avoid confusion. Uh, like I said, during the news read, I think the piston pushing block was the one that was jumping out to players the most, along with, I think it might have been fixed in a previous uh beta but maybe hasn't come to the full release yet but there was an issue where players would take full damage when jumping occasionally and that could lead to it building up to the point where they would just be pillaring up in the way that you typically do and take a lethal amount of damage out of nowhere um and so there's occasional issues like that that do seem 
pretty game-breaking about Bedrock and give it the reputation as being like a buggy version of the game. Um, But naturally, it has such a wide player base that you imagine the sample size of people who are going to run into those bugs is much greater than those on Java. Um, But yeah, I'm, I'm very interested to see what the Bedrock community thinks of some of the the newer changes and the more crucial fixes coming through because it seems like some of those have been irking them for a while i don't know enough about the bedrock bugs to know you know how long these have been in so that's i mean always good to hear bug fixes i'm i'm curious about the parody stuff uh and and how that might come into the java snapshot that we'll probably see you know probably this week or next whenever they get you know things rolling back in the new year and the thing that caught my attention was the vibrations, you know, that the armadillo will emit, uh, as well as things like the path restrictions of a breeze now avoiding trap doors mm-hmm. uh, and c- can jump when standing in water. And I just kind of thought of the people that might be making or taking advantage of the either of these mobs for any kind of like redstone or trigger mechanism or map for the breeze like anything like that that you can give players like oh by the way if you wanted to do anything unique or fun with this mob here are a set of rules that it will kind of adhere to and you're thinking about a breeze that might want to you know you might want to use the breeze to push things around you know and if you know that will it'll avoid trap doors you might be able to sort of aim it you know and i i think that kind of stuff is is interesting people much smarter than me i'm sure will figure it out in, in over time um, but, uh, same thing with the armadillo, like anything that admits a specific vibration, you know, when roll, you know, for, for stuff like that. Uh, so when it rolls up, it gets scared. So like you could put something that would scare it near it and then it could roll up like every so often and maybe use that as like, you know, a random signal generator, or maybe because of a specific frequency of the vibration, then you, it allows your redstone contraption to do something different than it normally would. Like that kind of stuff I find really interesting. I think the breeze thing also allows for consistency of its behavior when you fight it in the environment you're expected to, which is the trial chambers, because in the rooms that have breeze spawners, there are those buttons on the wall that activate and trigger different dispensers, and some of those can contain buckets of water, which will flood that area of the room, creating an obstacle for the player or, Ah, you know, whatever else, right? And so if the breeze ends up in one of those and is unable to jump, then the player can take it on much more easily and effectively nerfs the ability of the breeze to counteract that by leaping away. Uh, And that was one of the things that I found difficult about fighting them when I dipped into the trial spawners in the snapshot was how much they leap away and then they're keeping you at a distance by firing wind charges at you um so it makes them more dynamic to fight and makes the fight actually feel like a challenge so i think that plus avoiding trapdoors when pathfinding makes perfect sense based on the example trial uh, trial chamber that was in the um in the Minecraft live presentation where they had that trapdoor obstacle in the floor and the wind charges were able to open and close the trapdoors to drop players down through the floor. I didn't encounter any of those when we explored the trial chambers in Snapshot, so I'm not certain if those got implemented or if they were just an example. But if they are going to be implemented, having the breeze sat on top of one and then dropping itself through the floor accidentally kind of you know gives it the opportunity to trap itself mistakenly which could be frustrating for a player and obviously isn't the intended mechanic there so i think it makes a lot of sense for the breeze to avoid anything that would be a natural obstacle or be able to react to those obstacles if that's the environment we're going to encounter them in yeah i totally agree
We've got some chunk mail this week, and if you'd like to write in and help our 2024 email stores reach their capacity, you can send that message to spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. First message comes in from Dale, better than dying armor. Hello, Pix and Joel. Since Mojang hasn't yet addressed the popular request of being able to dye wolf armor, I thought maybe they were thinking of another way to customize them. I'm probably very optimistic here, but what if, instead of dying, you could craft the wolf armor with various items that would not only change its appearance, but also add functionality? For example, adding a prismarine shard to the crafting recipe would make your wolf a better swimmer. Blaze powder would make for better fire resistance, nether scrap for blast resistance, a feather for fall damage protection, etc. To get a bit crazier, hello modding community, add a goat horn to the wolf armor recipe for an evil look and better teleportation range or a firework rocket for following you when you fly. Anyway, what are your thoughts? Do you think Mojang is cooking something up beyond dying wolf armor? Thank you for your great podcast. Dale was slain by Charlie the dog wearing pillager wolf armor. It's going to teleport and spawn kill me in a loop. Oh, no. <laughs> that is that is the problem with uh, your, your wolves becoming pillagers. And yeah, I, I think uh, some of these ideas, I mean, uh, with the nods to the modern community, are naturally a little far-fetched for vanilla Minecraft. Although I would love to see a flying wolf, personally. I just think the, the prospect of your wolf getting, if not little Elytra, then at least like a firework rocket that it can ride behind you as you fly around, would certainly solve the problem that I have with pets following you in Minecraft, which is that your preferred way of getting around is going to be Elytra, and crossing water with more than one animal uh, is really difficult by boat. So having, you know, a, a way for them to follow you through the sky so you don't have to worry about the teleportation behavior is uh, is is going to be welcome, I think. Um, I was expecting the goat horn suggestion to be more about the wolf having like a sonic bark or something like that. But uh, I think we've had a similar uh, suggestion for the goat horn before. Um, some of the slightly more down-to-earth ideas, though, like the, the prismarine shard allowing them to swim a little bit faster, not only makes sense mechanically and adds to a bit of quality of life for using wolves with the player um, but also adds interesting new ways to use old items which is i think the prospect that i find most attractive in this suggestion i agree and one of the things that i know was uh part of the feedback that people were giving about the new wolf armor is that it added some protection but not a whole lot and so any chance that you have to increase the resiliency of your wolf so that all the work that you put into taming it and then giving it armor doesn't all end if it dies, unfortunately, by drowning or, you know, stepping in lava by accident because you took it to the nether or whatever. And I think that having that kind of uh, tweak to it is is really interesting. And I like the idea of using something beyond just a die to change also the aesthetic of the the wolf armor and that could work in two ways like if you are doing a pvp situation you're bringing these wolves in then a wolf with bright orange or bright blue armor you'd be able to say oh that's that's a swimming wolf or that's a fire wolf or whatever you want to you know call it and i think that could be really fun to like break up the the same old same old i i guess the con the the contrast to that is that dying wolf armor just like you die other things in game that's consistent game mechanics right so if you want to make your wolf armor red the first thing you think of is i need red dye not i need 
you know, something else that's going to make it red, like redstone, like that you, redstone wouldn't be the first thing that popped into your head. Right. Um, although I, I guess there is some parallel with the uh, armor trim yeah, and that we use the minerals in the game to, to tweak the armor trim. And I remember when we were talking about armor trim that people were asking about whether or not the armor trim would gonna, was going to be purely aesthetic or whether the different you know, minerals that you were putting into the armor for the color was also going to add some sort of functionality to it. And obviously we know now that it's just, it's just aesthetic changes. And I went a little bit farther thinking like, okay, so, so Dale gave some good examples, but imagine if something like lapis in turning your wolf armor blue could also increase the drops of XP that you get when your wolf is with you. So if you're out fighting mobs and you've got your wolf with you for protection, then you'll get extra XP if you have lapis armor on the wolf. Um, I think that an ink sack could maybe make the wolf invisible to hostile mobs at night, making them more useful. And again, encouraging players to use this feature, interact with them, and maybe take the wolf out at night when there's a lot of mobs around, when you might want to go get some XP or, or get some, you know, um, some drops, you know, bones and different things from, from mobs. And, uh, when I think about bones, I also think about, you know, how bone meal, functions with crops and growing plants and things and maybe a wolf could i don't know maybe water your blight plants if it had a, a bone armor i'll let you use your imagination but, <laughs> yeah uh, this, I, they're gonna add a couple of animations for that maybe a cocked <laughs> leg here and there you know uh, i can i can see where you're going with that though and i think part of the difficulty for me with this idea is it comes down to uh, what interface are you using to upgrade this? Like, you can imagine it being added to the smithing table, but then with the examples that Dale was giving in this email, you've got to then add prismarine and blaze powder into the rotation of potential materials to add to the smithing table, and then maybe players get confusion about whether those can be used to upgrade certain armor trims. I think one of the things about the smithing table right now that is is kind of, like, it, it works out okay is that the netherite upgrade template is the only thing you can put into the smithing table that is not just an aesthetic armor trim, right? But that still has an ingot as a component because you still need to add an ingot of netherite in order to upgrade a tool from diamond to netherite. And so that still works for the silhouettes of the different items cycling through in the table where it'll tell you yeah an iron ingot and a gold ingot will also work here but they'll just be part of the the armor trim upgrade and you can still use a netherite ingot aesthetically speaking whereas if you start adding in functionality that applies only to very specific things it becomes more esoteric and that's where you need something like a recipe book specifically for the smithing table or some kind of in-game prompt that is slightly more advanced to let the player know what stuff applies to what after a while if you start to add in too many trial and error mechanics to a system like that then you start to develop more scenarios in which the player can get frustrated and that's that's a bit of a problem so it either requires a bit of a, a tweak to the smithing table to make it more obvious which materials would apply to which or you'd need to have a different system for infusing wolf armor with these new components my brain went right to like a doggy groom station, like you see on social media. If you're watching a dog get a haircut, like uh -huh. this, <laughs> yeah, get get your wolf up on on the on the uh, the grooming station and and augment the armor. Just I just far fetched, kind of jokey, but yeah, I I I would imagine that if they do give more aesthetic changes to the wolf armor, it probably will go the the route of the die. Um, it would be nice if they were able to do 
something else. I don't know. I'm not sure what, what it would be or how you would do it. I'm not sure if you'd want to like in a way that you, um, right click on a wolf to make it sit or right click with a bone to feed it. I, I don't know whether once it has armor, maybe you could right click on the armored wolf with, you know, lapis or redstone or whatever, and maybe that could have an effect, but I, yeah, it's, uh, what I, what I find interesting about that kind of idea is that in order to, I think, create something that would have functionality and clarity in the design, you'd probably also have to get into a different texture model. So like if something was a fire resistance armor or uh, a swimming, you know, like an underwater breathing armor or something like that, I feel like just having them be the exact same design, but just different colors is it's not the best. Um, we've heard before from, I think it was, um, I think it was King Big Dogs that said like, you know, talking about the potions that yes, color changes alone are an all right fix for now, but ultimately from game design, you want to create more variety across, you know, UI and UX for, for clarity. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, having a different, like I would imagine, you know, when you think about a fire resistance armor on a wolf, there's an opportunity there to put flames on it, you know, or, or spiky <laughs> stuff. Can have you have a know, hot rod wolf. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, give him, give him some, some bling racing stripes, you know, for, for the speed, for the speed potion. Well, um, but like stuff like that, I think, you know, ends up being while a good idea, it ends up being a lot of work, you know, for making those things stand out clear, you know, clearly, especially again, like I mentioned, if you're doing a PVP situation where you need to figure out what armor that wolf has from across a field before you engage, you know, if that's a big part of, of your gameplay, then you want to have a strong silhouette and right now it would just look like a you know a wolf like there wouldn't be any any changes to it so i think to conclude my thoughts on this the other problem here is that what players have voted for was the addition of an armadillo effectively like the way it was presented to us was you're yeah. voting for a mob but people are fixated on the functionality of these mobs and therefore the functionality of the wolf armor and beyond a certain point i think mojang has to realize hey we're putting more effort into this wolf armor concept than we put into the mob as a concept and so it starts to feel unbalanced as a feature that players have voted to get into the game ostensibly we voted for the creature and the wolf armor is just a bonus but right now i feel like people are dwelling on the wolf armor as you know, something that they, they voted to add to the game. I feel like there's maybe room for Wolf Armor to expand in future, but at this point it really feels like the Armadillo is what we should be focused on, even though the Armadillo does not do a whole lot beyond give you the ingredients to craft Wolf Armor in the first place. Our second email comes in from It's Ekans with the subject of invisible item frames. Hello Joel and Pix. I've recently noticed the frequency of invisible item frames in creative mods, maps and builds and was thinking about some possible ways they could be implemented into vanilla survival. Invisible item frames are great for small details scattered around a build and can be even used for more complex things that add on to other blocks. One possible implementation could be splashing an item frame with an invisibility potion for a permanent effect. This could have a radius so that multiple frames can be made invisible at once. When broken, they could either drop an invisible item frame item or just revert back to their normal selves. This could end up being expensive though since potions can take a while to mass produce and they aren't stackable. 
Another possible implementation could be crafting an invisible item frame in a crafting table with invisibility potions. This could work with any amount of frames, but for example, 64 frames and one potion could make 64 invisible frames. If the crafting recipe was one item frame to one invisibility potion, the possible drawback would be the expense to craft. That's it for now. Have you guys ever used invisible item frames in a build, and do you have any more suggestions as to how they could be obtained in survival? It's Ekans simply didn't die. What a happy ending. Hey, that's the best way to start the new year. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, invisible item frames. I have not had a great deal of experience using them in any of my worlds. The chief reason being most of the worlds I play on, like Survival Guide, are pure vanilla to the extent that I don't install any data packs and I don't use vanilla commands uh, except for admin purposes or where it's necessary for a tutorial. But in the case of invisible item frames, they are possible in vanilla Minecraft to clarify, but survival is kind of the modifier here. They're only really possible to implement through either a command which turns the item in item frame invisible or a data pack which adds something that allows you to trigger that command. So the most prominent case of this would be something like the armor stand book that they use on Hermitcraft, where you can control the position of armor stands, but another option the same book gives you is the option to turn the nearest item frame invisible. And players will simply stand next to an item frame or, you know, as close to that item frame as they can in order to trigger that command. And clicking a link in the book basically just does it for you. Um, so it's one way to modify access to that, but obviously a way that players have data packed in and not something that's intended as a vanilla survival functionality. Um, personally, I think the suggestions in its Ekans' email are perfectly fine. Like, I like the idea of making item frames invisible by splashing them with a potion, although obviously it makes fine control over that mechanic slightly difficult. And the thing that I have trouble with here is the obtaining of an invisible item frame as an item in its own right. For a start, how do you depict that in the inventory? <laughs> That's kind of a difficult one. We've already had enough trouble finding grey glass panes in our grey <laughs> UI, right? Uh, yeah. So so it's the same kind of problem. And also, the functionality already applies to existing item frames. So creating an invisible item frame at this point seems a little bit redundant even if you're looking at it from a survival perspective because it just creates another item that has effectively a permanent set of the properties that you can already apply to another item given the right commands or data packs or what have you so that's sort of my two cents on the subject i'll leave it to you because i think you have a bit more experience with these than i do i use this kind of thing so often i forget that it's not part of the vanilla game and uh while i have the vanilla tweaks uh armor statues data pack i don't use the uh invisible item frame link all that often i find that that feature in the data pack sinks the item a bit too far into the surface which might be desirable if your item frame is on a wall or a chest and you want to have like a low profile as you walk by but if you're trying to put something on a table and have it look like there's a fish on the table then the fish item ends up sinking so far into the table it looks like it's a painting of a fish on the table as opposed to the actual pixel kind of wide item because as as we all know when you have an item in minecraft usually in your hand it's it's about a pixel wide as far as those um you know 16 by 16 pixels and so i find that what i've been using instead is the uh positioning of the armor stand giving the item to the armor stand either to hold it in its hand or to place it on its head and then position the armor stand where i want with a lot more finite control 
angles that I want to put it at, uh, that kind of thing, and then making the armor stand invisible. So it's the same idea. It's just that it's a it's a longer, uh, more arduous process. But I really like the ability to do it. I think placing your items around the world, like fish on tables or blocks on tables or uh, like mini blocks, like that kind of thing as they appear in the, the hand of an armor stand is really useful for adding detail and life and uh, just the impression of functionality to different spaces in, in Minecraft, specifically things like kitchens, you know, where you just, it just looks kind of empty without any, anything going on, you know, despite the fact that we can all eat and, and cook in Minecraft, right? Uh, specifically like in furnaces and whatnot in the game. So when it comes to things like uh, the suggestion from, from it's uh, Ekans, it, for me, I like the idea of interacting with an invisibility potion that makes sense. It lines up with the game. I'm wondering if similar to how we saw the brush deplete in, um, in its durability when interacting with the armadillo to get armadillo scoots, I'm wondering if instead of a splash potion, you could then put an item uh, item frame on the wall with the item in it and then I guess you'd have to shift right click in order to not swap the potion into the the item frame because uh, then you'd have like invisible item frame meta if you had like an invisible yeah. potion and an invisible item frame uh, but you know, by by right clicking uh, on the item frame it would then go invisible and maybe you'd have four to eight uses of that invisibility potion. I think one might be a little bit too much because as they mentioned in the email, they're you know expensive to craft. And if you're going to do a lot of this, like you're decorating your entire storage room with invisible item frames, then that's going to be difficult, you know, in terms of the, the stock that you need. And so being able to use like, you know, three or, or eight times the one invisibility potion before it's depleted and it's just an empty glass bottle, then that allows you to put down, you know, eight item frames, for example, and just hit them all individually and say like hide that hide that hide that and maybe there's other ones that you don't want to hide and a splash potion to me would be really frustrating because if it if if you miss one it just doesn't work or or two if it has an aoe then you're gonna hide stuff that you maybe don't want to hide you know yeah and, and i i think that 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 would be a little bit more of an accurate way to do it um i i think that kind of interaction would be better than using it to craft in the crafting table because i think that um I mean, I, I guess we have like the ink, the glow ink sack example of making like a, a glowing item frame. So there's that. But I think that it would be not as straightforward and as they mentioned, expensive uh, to use it in the crafting table. Yeah, I, I think the problem with using a potion piece by piece like that as well is that you either end up with a potion that has durability, which is unlike right. any other potion, or you end up with a situation where maybe you've like used the potion seven out of eight times, can you still then drink that potion? And it creates like, again, points of friction with the player's expected yeah. mechanics for those things. So yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. I think ultimately it could come, come down to something as simple as when uh, we added glow ink to the game, when, when glow ink was, was introduced and you could suddenly craft a glow item frame and whether that was, you know, that, that that ended up being a crafting recipe rather than an interaction. So maybe setting up an item frame that you know is going to be invisible when you place it makes more sense. But I think the problem with invisible objects in general in survival Minecraft is that it is a lot harder to interact with them and for the interactions with them to feel um, 
I guess, intuitive. So I think one of the reasons that that is left for data pack and command-based functionality is that there is a lot of player intention behind doing right. that and it feels like a player exercising a different level of control over the game than a survival player would normally have so overall i don't know if obtaining them in survival is necessarily the best thing simply because on an intuitive level it introduces something that is harder for you to interact with like if you remove the item from the item frame how do you then know where that is and how do you avoid that becoming an obstacle to the player interacting with, let's say, the block that the invisible item frame is placed on if they wanted to change what that wall looked like or something? It's it's a difficult one. I think it may be something that the team comes up with a creative solution for in future, but for now I can see why they haven't. The other thing that I was thinking of would be perhaps a little inconsistent, but something like using a glass pane to craft an invisible item frame where it, it would show a wood frame with a glass pane in it in your inventory, but then when you place it down in the world with something in it, it would be, you know, invisible. Or the act of putting something in it would make it invisible and removing something from it would make it visible. I, again, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I'm not sure how you, you know, communicate that in your inventory to players and things like that. But um, we're also dealing with, in a world that has magic, so maybe it's not called an invisible item frame. Maybe it's called a magic item frame. You know, I don't know. You could you could potentially have some some play there. I, I know that in in the vanilla tweaks data pack, if you have used an item frame and you do have an item in it and it's invisible, the moment that you remove that item, the item frame also pops off. Like you get both back. Right. It becomes okay. visible and they and it both they both drop on the ground. And and I'm sure that's by exactly you know by intention for the exact purpose you just mentioned which is like if it <laughs> if it doesn't pop off where the heck is it when you come back you know next the next day or next week you're like where did i put that invisible item frame <laughs> you know yeah. where did i park my invisible jet you know, that kind of stuff and and I, I i think that 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 would be a simple solution would be like if if you'd remove the item then it just loses its stickiness and just kind of pops in back into your inventory yeah makes perfect sense but uh yeah we'll we'll wait and see if mojang has any plans for that down the line uh, in the meantime, though, we wanted to move on to our main discussion topic, which is sort of Minecraft Unplugged. And you wanted to bring this one to the table, considering that, yeah, we've both taken a bit of time off over the Christmas break to kind of recharge our batteries, as it were. But we wanted to discuss what the pros and cons are of taking some time off when, as I said earlier, Minecraft is our principal form of recreation and, in our cases, something we do for work. And this is something I, I didn't intend to do, you know, after being off for four or five days, you know, with the Friday before the holiday being, you know, really busy with stuff and, and not being able to stream getting ready for Christmas. And then Christmas, of course, was Sunday, Monday and Boxing Day and here around here is a holiday as well. So, I mean, before I knew it, it was a good four or five days completely out of my studio. I, I wasn't even at the computer, you know, to do anything. I was really just visiting family or, or hanging out in front of the TV for my own recreation. and. I just didn't end up streaming at all, you know, making any content at all, really, outside of like popping in for some social media for the pre-recorded podcasts that we had made. That was it. And so I find that uh, when I hit that stride, I was like, I I didn't realize how tired I was. And this is not a complaint. Like, I, I, I love what I do. But when you are as busy as, as we are creating content and, and being an entrepreneur and all the behind the scenes stuff that you have to do in addition to like the three hour streams and all that stuff. Um, the, the, the treadmill that you're on can just kind of 
exist. And then it's not until it turns off that you go, woof, wow, I really needed to sit down. You know, like I really needed to turn off my brain and my phone and just go talk to people and family and, and have a visit and stuff like that. And so I leaned into it. And it's one of the things that I've learned, I would say, as I've kind of gotten past the whole needing to work all hours of every day is that when I do find myself realizing how tired I am, I, I say, okay, this is a good time to like, you know, it's the holidays. It's a really good opportunity to just kick back and, and, uh, take the break. And so when I'm thinking about the pros and cons of that for me, and I'm curious about this for you as well, Pix, when you work for yourself, you tend to be spinning multiple plates at a time. And like you, like I said, you don't realize how tired you are until you actually stop. But with that, I find it takes me a while to reach break mode mentally. Like I can take a day off and I don't know that I really feel like I've had a break. Whereas if I'm taking a couple of weeks off, it can be a couple of days before I even feel, oh yeah, like I'm on vacation. You know, like I don't have to think about that. I don't have to go back into the studio. I don't have a schedule. I don't have to be anywhere or do anything outside of maybe plans I've made with friends here and there. And I find that that's, you know, something that is challenging uh, about getting into uh getting into break mode. Um, and thus, you know, giving yourself a longer break means that you have time to kind of ease yourself into it and then time enough to enjoy it before you, you know, eventually get, get back to, to work for it. Um, but I, I think that in terms of the, the positive things, you know, from, for me, um, with most things, I think taking a break helps stave off any burnout or creative bottlenecks specifically in Minecraft because it is a creative game because you are doing things uh, and you are the master of those things. You know, if you're playing an RPG and you've got quests, well, then if you've taken a break and you come back in or or if you're not sure what to do, you just look at your quest log and you do the next thing in the game. Whereas Minecraft, like it, unless you've really got a good plan, you're kind of left to your own devices. And, and that can be frustrating if you have been doing it for you know as long as we have or as often as a lot of people do play minecraft and um i think it's important to to have that break you know so when it when it comes time for you to take you know your own vacation do you find that you struggle to take time off do you find it challenging to do, does it take you a couple of days to get into like a relaxed mode uh, it's not difficult for me to get into a relaxed mode, but one of the things that really has sustained my output with Minecraft over the last few years has been momentum, and it's so easy to drop that, and I think difficult to regain that. Like, you can hit the brakes pretty hard, but like any like a steam train or whatever, it's going to take a little while to reach maximum speed again, and so I find right. that yeah. I'm always mm -hmm. easing myself back into it after I've taken a break. Like, it, it is as simple as just being able to step away from the PC and go somewhere else for the day or for the week or like, you know, going up to visit my parents over Christmas, I didn't think about Minecraft nearly at all. Um, and it's because I think at this point also, I'm not of the age where I'm getting like Minecraft themed gifts from people, you know, right? Like, it's not like people uh, who, you know, I've known my entire life are going to be concerned about you know, me, my entire life having to revolve around Minecraft or Minecraft being my only fascination. They know I have other interests. And so it is possible for me to go for a little while without thinking about it too hard. And 
I, I don't bring a laptop with me that's capable of really playing Minecraft. Like, I think uh, my, my 2015 MacBook Pro might be able to load up vanilla Minecraft, but probably can't play it at decent frame rates these days, especially after 1.18 update kind of increased the terrain height and everything. So I, I think it it's easy for me to step away and... I get a lot of enjoyment out of other stuff now, especially having settled into the equilibrium of this being a work activity and not just a recreational activity. Um, but I find that the best use of that time is still in allowing yourself to feel refreshed creatively and to recognize that Minecraft as a creative game is for a lot of us an artistic game and good art is rarely ever made in a vacuum right? You you find mm. artistic inspiration comes from different places, different stimuli, and it can be conversations with people that drive new ideas. It can be seeing a new place. You know, travel can be inspiring, whether it's in person or online. If you're just an armchair explorer and you're clicking around Google Maps or you play GeoGuessr or whatever and you happen to come across different world architecture that you feel inspires you or if you get some books you know from the library or from your own collection that have you know architectural reference that you can look up you can use it for research if you want to um, but I find that even just absorbing that stuff on a slightly more passive basis I spend a bit more time over the holiday watching TV shows, watching movies, and suddenly I'm realizing that, oh yeah, there are these different color combinations that I could use in something. There's this this architectural style that I'm interested in playing. And even just scrolling through Instagram ended up with me, you know, getting my latest project idea. Um, so artistic inspiration can come from a lot of different places. And it can even come from a lot of different media as well. Uh, video games are a chief inspiration. I've talked about previously using video games to help you get a, uh, a feel for environment design, but other games can be a real benefit to that. So even if you're just taking time away from Minecraft as a game and playing a few other games, it's a great way to get a feel for environment design from those games. Um, before the holidays really began, but when I started to feel myself kind of winding up my routine for the holidays, I started dipping into Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, which is another one of the Dark Souls kind of family of games, um, but it's set in, um, you know, ancient Japan or feudal Japan. And um, I find that that has great synergy with some of Minecraft's more recent building block additions, thinking of cherry and bamboo wood specifically. Uh, so there's potential for you to fold that back into returning to Minecraft and having fresh inspiration can help you to build that momentum back up again. I'm the same way where, you know, I'll want to play some other games and and I may or may not get some inspiration. Like I I was playing a lot of uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which I bought for myself a couple of Christmases ago. And uh, it's a very deep game. And then once you've had some time away, it kind of it's hard to get back in because you kind of have to refresh your memory and maybe even read like a little bit of a Wikipedia post just to kind of get yourself back into it. Um, but thinking about, you know, rivers and environments and swamps and how different games do different things um, is always a, a great way to to get inspiration. But I find that, and this may have more to do with being, you know, a, a streamer content creator than it does Minecraft specifically. But I find sometimes the challenge of wanting to relax on the couch and play a video game is that depending on the game, I will often sit there and go like, hmm, should I be using this for content? Like, should I be streaming this on Twitch to share the experience sure. uh, of the game? Um, and it's, 
comes up kind of often where I'd see a game that would appeal to me, but because it lines up so well with something like Minecraft, like, you know, a, a city builder or something cartoony uh, or like a, a management game or something that has that kind of Minecraft vibe, especially if it's creative, then I'm just like, wow, that really lines up with the audience. I know that my Minecraft audience would like that. I should save that for the stream. And then ultimately, I just don't end up playing it because once I'm back in work mode, that it's mo it's mostly Minecraft, obviously, on stream, as I have a lot of stuff to do in the game. And so so those games weirdly just don't have get, end up getting played because uh, they just I, I think about them in a work way. And so what I end up doing, you know, in, in your souls like game is a good example. I end up playing games like, you know, Assassin's Creed or something that's more um, realistic looking RPG style uh, potentially like more on the, you know, adult violent side uh, of video games. Not that I don't play those kind of games on stream because I've played Borderlands 3 before on stream. But generally speaking, I tend to gear more towards like the like the more PG games on stream uh, just because I know my audience. And um, and as a result, like the, there's a real disparity between like what I play to relax on the couch versus what I would consider a stream game. And I know we've talked about it before where, you know, you discover a new hobby or you discover this new thing and there's always that temptation to bring it into the fold and make it part of the content. But it's like, no, I need to have some things that are just for me. But even in the middle of vacation, I did find it hard to kind of turn that switch off. You know, like I saw, what was it? It was like Overcooked or something it was just like some cool multiplayer, very straightforward, but seemed like it would be a good community game, you know, like that kind of a thing. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll wait. Maybe I'll play that with, you know, with other people. Uh, and so that, that kind of stuff I do, I do find crops up as like a negative of not, I mean, I, not just time away from Minecraft. That's very specific to, I think you and I, given what we do, but that's one of the, the negative things of time away that I experience. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it can still be important to unplug if not just to get away from the game and recharge creatively, but also to see if you want to come back to it. And that's a, an important kind of test for people. Like a, a lot of times we'll get the question here on the podcast or I'll get it, you know, in, in the kind of stuff that I do. Well, people will ask, you know, how can I avoid getting bored of Minecraft? And the answer so often is, why do you feel like you need to be hmm. in Minecraft all the time? You know, like maybe for some people, it may be the only game that they have been able to afford. And that's fine because I think Minecraft is a really great example of a game that you can play forever and is a one-off purchase uh obviously there are some you know extra transactions you can take on bedrock edition that lead you to other content but if you just want to play the survival game minecraft forever it offers a lot of variety a near infinite allowance for variety but i think people get into the mindset of this is the only game I can play and they often get into that from creators who seem to be playing Minecraft all the time with a seemingly infinite capacity to do more with the game and to some people that doesn't come easily and that's entirely fine like that that's something that I have occasionally found does not come easily to me and in those moments what you don't see is creators taking some time away like they'll take a trip they'll pre-record some stuff maybe and then they'll take a week off from the game and not touch it at all and that's important for both making sure that they get the rest and relaxation that they need and also to make sure that they feel comfortable coming back to it after that and checking in with yourself about that kind of thing is is an underrated aspect of any work much less you know the kind of work that we do here the creative kind of work that requires us to be playing this game a lot i think that's important too with the 
way that we all consume media and everything is presented in like a nice tidy fashion specifically around minecraft a lot of the time when you think about like edited youtube content and you don't know whether they blitz through you know a 12 or 14 hour day to record four videos and then they got four days off or you know where in your world as just a, a casual minecraft player you might be playing every day after work or school for two hours and then just wonder like my gosh like why can't i make any headway the same way that this creator does that i follow and they have a different schedule a different approach you know and you don't know you don't know what that is because it's not often shared not not never but it's it's not often brought up because it's not the most interesting thing to talk about in a small 20 minute youtube video right and i think that i mean i definitely agree with you in terms of that breakaway and whenever i get someone that comes into twitch chat and says like hey i'm bored like give me an idea for minecraft my first response which is a little cheeky is always like don't play minecraft like then if you don't know what to do in minecraft then don't play it go play something else go do something else read something else and and i think that 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 really really helps and for me you know i love playing minecraft but it has technically become work and i think that just like anything else you need to make sure you have a nice break from work you know like i have a separate space i don't play minecraft off stream i i play it so much on stream i definitely get my fill and i certainly feel like i'm pirating my own content if i play it off offline and so i'd, I'd much rather save that creativity and, and build up that you know return to it and and share that online with people and this is something that i find is kind of synonymous with me being an artist and that I've always really enjoyed the satisfaction of making stuff uh, on a regular basis. So if you start to miss that feeling of accomplishment, you know, because it's not part of your routine, I start to feel like I'm, I've kind of got this buildup, you know, like I've just, I haven't, I haven't done anything. I haven't made anything. I haven't had that creative outlet. And one of the nice things about Minecraft in like that time away versus time back in is that boy is it easy to get back into minecraft and make something and i'm not saying that you know you you jump back in and say i'm going to build a brand new castle you know and and start on some giant project but like if all you're doing is just a couple of things in minecraft maybe building a house or fixing a fence or like doing something little like you can get in there and in a half an hour make something walk away from there was nothing there before and now i've done something and you feel like you've got that creative outlet and that's something that I really enjoy about playing Minecraft as a game is that it it does satisfy that creative making stuff need that I have. And when you take time away, I, I feel like I start to remind myself when it's absent that, oh yeah, that's a part of my life, part of routine that I, I really like and really helps me kind of like express myself. And so by, by taking time away from it, whether that's time away from gaming in general, time away from Minecraft, just as a game and you're playing, you know, Mario Kart with your family, whatever that is, I think that if you've got that creative bug, that urge to make stuff, then, uh, reminding your, yourself of what it's like when you don't have that can help reignite, you know, inspiration and some gusto to help you get back into Minecraft after some, some time away. Cause I'm like you. When I've had enough time away from anything, it is hard to get back into it. To, you kind of have to steamroll. And thankfully, a lot of the time I, I, I use the mentality that I have from, from my working out, from my training, that you just, you just have to not think and just go. And the moment you do it, you feel better 
you feel, oh yeah, I immediately remember how to do this. It's like the first five minutes of our pre-show, trying to remember how to do a podcast after two weeks off, you know? But then 15 minutes later, we're like, yeah, okay, we're ready. Let's let's go and do an episode. And yeah. it just feels like, it feels like, you know, you never left. And I think that you just have to kind of get that momentum of of like, like, no, no, I know Minecraft. I I don't need to necessarily have a mission when I sit down to play Minecraft after some time away. I'm familiar enough with this game usually i mean thinking about our audience that probably plays it quite a bit that i can find something to do it's really not going to be that hard for me to to find something to do in minecraft and get back into the groove so to speak and i think one of the reasons that maybe people step away from minecraft is more often than not i wouldn't call it a rage quit situation but it can be frustration with game mechanics rather than it being an art block kind of thing right like you know i've definitely had situations in which I've lost a bunch of equipment and felt really demoralized to continue a series. Like if I fight the Wither and that destroys a bunch of my stuff, it's a bunch of off-camera work that I then have to do to get back to the place where I was. And so like sometimes stuff like that can feel very demotivating. But time away can change that. And it whatever feelings you feel in the moment can be resolved by a little bit of time and a little bit of rest and relaxation. So there are all sorts of reasons to unplug from Minecraft, but it's always going to be there for us, I think, when we plug back in, which we're going to do in the new year. So we are going to be uh, talking about Minecraft next week and beyond. You can listen to the Spawn Chunks anytime you want to and get that motivation back but that's going to be it for this episode you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com the music for the show is composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast if you're getting some value out of the show why not consider putting some value back in you can do that at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks to join our community pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons only discord chat you can listen to the show live when we record it in discord every week our monthly minecraft audio hangout is coming up at the end of the month and a quarterly hangout is coming up beyond that so stay tuned to the announcement channel in the discord if you're already a patron and you'll get all the news about when those are in the pipeline we currently have 322 patrons which is down seven from our last recording which happened on december 20th of last year so we're looking to add a few more people there is always room for more in our community special thanks go out to our content engineer patrons hunter 555 jumbo sale mind trip media party voyager and yitz thank you all for your support on this episode Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on social media. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just tell a friend about The Spawn Chunks and that they can listen on their favorite podcast app, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. We are all over the place. Be sure to leave a rating and a review on your favorite platform. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked at the spawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. Along with that email address, a reminder, since we mentioned it at the top of the show, I'll mention it here for those of you who've listened this far, that if you want a question directed at Nembon, uh, we are going to be joined by Nembon on an upcoming episode of the podcast. So please put the word Nembon in the subject line so that we can sort through those and hopefully not miss any questions intended for that episode. In the meantime, my name is Johnny. Online I go by Pixlriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where the Minecraft Survival Guide is currently in its third season. I'm getting back 
into streaming three days a week on Twitch, where I typically do behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series, but I've been dipping into a bit of lethal company here and there with a couple of groups, which has been really fun. I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which is currently on hiatus as Season 9 has concluded and Season 10 is on the way at an unspecified time this year. You can also find us through a quick YouTube search if you want to catch up on any previous episodes of the Hermitcraft recap. And aside from that, I'm at Pixorifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything that I'm doing online can be linked at joelduggan.com. That includes the Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. There is a holiday roundtable out that was published on New Year's Eve. That You can listen to that now. And I will be recording the first episode of the new year with Stephen ESC on Wednesday. We're going to be talking about Rebel Moon Part 1, which is Zack Snyder's latest that was on Netflix. That came out just before Christmas. I'm Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream Thursday through Sunday, mostly building on the Citadel, but I do play other games too. See you there. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, but it's okay to step away.